0: Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "'Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven.' At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, "'This fellow is blaspheming.' Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, "'Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? "'Which is easier?' to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk but so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins then he said to the paralytic get up take your mat and go home and the man got up and went home when the crowd saw this they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to men
1: that's just uh a one of the three texts that talk about the healing of this fellow that was uh, taken to Jesus, he was in the city of Capernaum and he was teaching. And uh, it doesn't, doesn't say in every text. The other two texts are found in Mark chapter 2, the first 12 verses, and Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. And those two texts will also fill in some of the other information that I'll, I'll mention. Well, I speak to you this morning. But uh, basically, what was going on was that Jesus was in the city of Jerusalem, in, a, in a, a house, an ordinary house, and he was teaching. He was also healing. It says the power of God was with him to heal, but he was teaching. And people had crowded so densely that you couldn't even get through the front door to access Jesus and probably the crowds were even further than that uh, uh, spread out because when these men came bearing the we're going to call it a stretcher because that's basically what it was there were four men carrying the cripple man and they came to the house and they couldn't get through now you would think that when people saw the crippled fella and saw him being carried by four men that they would uh... part part and let them through Apparently the crowd was so thick that they couldn't do that. So these four fellows took the man who was crippled. He was palsied, it says. He had palsy. He was suffering some sort of uh, palsy or disability that he couldn't walk. They were carrying him. Now we can understand that because he was being carried in, in all likelihood, he was not dogging it. He was not acting as if he couldn't walk and having them carry him because that would be humiliating. And it probably wasn't psychosomatic. It was probably the fact that he actually had some form of palsy which involves either the stiffening of the legs or limbs or the trembling of the legs or limbs and spasms so that the individual cannot support his own weight and walk. So they were carrying him. And the other texts tell us, there's four men, and the other texts tell us that in order to get through to Jesus, they had to access him through the roof of the house. The typical house in that time and era was a block concrete, not a concrete block house, but it was a block house that was plastered, made of stone, and the roof was, in all likelihood, flat to some degree, but not completely flat. It, had, it, have a, it would have a pitch to it because they understood as much about water as we do. So they had to tilt the, the top of the roof of the house a little bit in order to drain the water when it rained. This particular house had a pitch, however. So it, in all likelihood, had something over for carpenters among us had something over 2 and 12, because it says they removed the tiles, which was the roofing material. So they probably had a pitch in the roof, something like this on top. And when these four fellows got up on the roof, they took the tiles off. Now, Jesus is asked a question. This is going on because the man is down among them, and Jesus looked at him and said, Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And there was a grumbling among the Sadducees and the Pharisees that were there and the lawyers. And they said, who is this that can forgive sins? This is blasphemy. And Jesus said, what's easier? Which is easier? He asked sort of a negative question. He didn't ask the question, is it harder to do this than it is to do that? He said, which is easier? either to forgive sins or to say unto this man rise take up your bed and walk which he did he said that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins he said take up your bed and walk okay the question then is what 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 was hard about healing this guy the first thing that comes to my mind is how did they get the man on the roof you ever thought about that we have, I have an illustration here. I looked up several on the internet trying to see if I could find some indication of what a stretcher would look like in that day. And that's probably as close to it as you can get without the poles on either side. And there, instead of six people, there were four people, four men, had to be strong men. They were carrying this man in the stretcher. Now, they weren't. they weren't using a gurney, we're familiar with gurneys in, in hospitals, in, in uh, paramedics vehicles that can collapse and come up and can scoot along on big wheels and even go up and down stairs with them. They weren't on a gurney, they were carrying this guy. Four men, each one holding one corner, one of the four corners of this pallet and carrying him. Now that guy had to, had to feel pretty bad himself. To allow them to carry him. But they did. And they were carrying him. Now think about it. He he wasn't strapped down. It wasn't a rescue stretcher where they had straps that they could strap on him, or even put him in a bag and strap him down and hold him down so that they could get to the roof and get him on top of the roof. How did they get him up there? I wonder about that. Well, they could have cast ropes over the side. There were usually parapets around the top of these houses, a little wall about two or three feet tall, and then below that would be the roof. So they had to get him up there somehow. It could be that the folks that were there saw them on the outside of the crowd, saw them and said, let's help. So they may have formed sort of a brigade and picked him up and carried him over and lifted him up high enough for the guys that got up on top to reach down. And maybe put cords on each corner of the stretcher and pull him up. I can imagine how this fellow felt <laughs> while they're trying, they couldn't stand him up like that, like they usually do in a rescue stretcher, and rope him up and drag him up this way, horizontally. They had to put him up this way, because he was in the stretcher. So they had to get him up somehow and get him on top of that roof that took a lot of strength and it took a lot of effort and it took a lot of courage on the part of the four men and the man that was in the stretcher. They took the roof apart and they let him down probably with cords, four cords, let him down. And you know what Jesus said? The first thing he said was he said, your faith has done this. He talked to the four men. And so he said, because of your faith, He forgave this man his sins, and I'm sure the man had faith as well. He had faith in these men who were carrying him, and he had faith in the fact that he was going to have something good happen to him. And when he got in the presence of Jesus, Jesus said, "Your sins are forgiven you." And then, when he got the criticism, he said, "Okay," he said, "Now that you can know that I have power to forgive sins, to for you to understand what's harder." You know, I'm looking at that and thinking, "Man, that was hard." Just getting him down there. It was hard on everybody that had a part in it. It was hard on the man. It was hard on his four friends. It was hard on everybody to get him there. And Jesus said, what's easiest? And so he told him to take up his bed and walk. Now that was tough. This man wasn't used to walking. His legs were paralyzed, apparently, palsy shaky, he hadn't walked, Jesus said, get right up, and he said, take up your pallet and go home, and he went on his way, got up immediately, and he left, and so the question I have in my mind when we look at that is, was that tough, was that that a hard thing to, to happen, and it certainly was, how difficult would it be today? In light of all of our modern medicine and discoveries, medical discoveries that have gone on, how difficult would it be today for someone to do precisely what Jesus did to cure a person of palsy, cerebral palsy of some some sort, either muscular or nerve damage, whatever it may be, and all of a sudden to walk into a hospital room with the guys laying there and been there for a long time, His legs have not been mobile. He's not been ambulatory for a long time. And just tell him, get up and go home. You can't get a doctor to tell you that right now in a hospital. If you've been in a hospital before, you can't just get up and go home. They won't let you. It'll take two three hours just to check you out. But to get up and go home, how tough would that be? But we, we can't do that. We haven't done that. But Jesus did that then. And so these fellows are thinking, well, that's hard. That's got to be hard. And yet Jesus is saying, you know what's tougher? You know what's harder? To forgive sins. That's, that's harder than what they went through. And it would be hard to imagine anything harder than what they were doing. And yet he said, it's hard to forgive sins. And the Pharisees said what they said initially was, and I think it's accurate, Excuse me. They said, Who can forgive sins but God? So they kind of got that part of it. They got that idea. Sin is different from a physical malady. Sin affects the inner part of a person, not his body, not her body. Sin affects a person's being. Sin is, according to his own definition, Greek and Hebrew, it's a mistake. And it's a grievous mistake. And it's a harmful mistake. It's a hurtful mistake. It is an injury. And it is an insult to a person's being, to their body sometimes, and to their heart. That's what a sin is. It always hurts. Sins always hurt. Modern medicine provides multiple cures for many illnesses and diseases. And those who practice it oftentimes will encourage their patients to get up and walk. to see if you can. And see if you're strong enough to go home. But you'll never walk out of a hospital anymore. They'll put you in a wheelchair and take you to the door. You don't walk. Jesus told this man, get up. Get your bed, take your stretcher, and go home. And he did Forgiving sins, however, is not that easy. That was easy. Jesus said it was easy. That's what he implied. It's easy to do what I did to this lame man. But forgiving sins is not that easy. Because forgiveness for sins... It's hard on everybody. It's hard on the sinner. And it's hard on the one who forgets. The one who's been offended by the offender. Hard on everybody. When you've been injured. Or insulted. It is tough to forgive the one who did it to you. It's absolutely tough. Almost beyond human ability. Really. And these fellows said. Who can do that but God? Well. Well. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 12 and 14 in our prayers father forgive our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors then he said if you, then he said if you forgive others your sin your father in heaven will forgive your sins well, that sounds easy doesn't it just forget it just let it go you've been insulted you've been you've been damaged. You've, you've, been, you've been slandered all these times. Just for, forgive it. Forgive it. Say, it, it's okay. No problem. You know as well as I do that it's not that easy, is it? That's tough. It is easier to bind up the wound, the physical wound of an enemy, than it is to forgive them for the insults and the injuries. Matthew chapter 18 at verse 22, Peter was talking to Jesus, or Jesus was talking to Peter, and then Peter replied. But Jesus was talking about forgiveness. He said, "If your brother offends you, go to him and tell him his fault between you and him." That's the first part of Matthew 18. He said, "If he won't hear you, you know what you have to think about is that the offender usually doesn't come asking for forgiveness." it's the one who's been offended that has to go and say you've done something wrong I wish you'd make corrections so he said if he won't hear you he won't recognize these he's hurt you go get one or two witnesses and take them with you and let them hear what you have to say they can decide and if he won't hear them he said tell it to the church which is the people that are the community of God people that care about God and care about you he said, it won't hear them. Be, let it be like unto, unto you, like a heathen or a publican. So Peter got to grinding around on that one. And before Jesus could finish, long about verse 22, Peter said, Hey, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? How's that? Peter was being generous. I'll do it seven times. That's it. Seven times, and I'm done. Jesus said 70 times 7. 490 times. Well, of course, that got beyond Peter's range of understanding, and mine too, really. But he's saying forgive. Forgiveness for personal insults or personal damages is difficult. Something said to us or about us that wounds us deeply is certainly not easily set aside. You just can't set it aside with ease. We've been injured physically or emotionally, and we're hurt. To set it aside is extremely difficult, if not impossible. But Jesus said we're supposed to do that. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, he says, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. It's not easy to forgive. And I'm going to add to that, it's not likely that you're going to do it. That's how hard it is. You can't do it easily. We struggle to forgive. It's easier to take care of of someone wounded on the roadside than it is to forgive someone who slanders us or hurls insults at us from the roadside. Water under the bridge, they say. It's just water under the bridge. It's happened. Water under the bridge. Yeah, but that water's muddy. And it stays muddy. And every time we think about that damage, it gets muddier and murkier. The reason why this is, is because the offense happened. It is a historical fact. It happened to you. Something happened to you. Someone sinned against you. What I'm saying is, someone damaged you someone hurt you personally now it's not impersonal when a person says there's nothing personal about this and they slander you or they injure you or insult you it's all personal always is personal okay now then how do i how do i deal with that apologies can be made explanations can be offered and tears can be shed but the fact remains it happened The wrong happened. And it entered into our lives, entered into our hearts, and it got into our minds, and we cannot change the past. When the past happens, it happens. You can't change it. Can you understand yet how hard it is to forgive? It's not like you stubbed your toe, it's not like somebody accidentally dropped something on your head and gave you a concussion something happened to your heart broke your heart something stabbed you in your inner being and you know who did it and you, know, you think you know why they did it and it happened how do I get over that well the Bible says we should forgive and it's difficult to do that and some say well but I can't forget it and you won't. If you forget something, it's probably because you went insane. Sane people don't forget things like that. You remember, it, it, it comes up all the time. Blame is always leveled. When something happens, we always have to find someone to blame. This happened to me because. They did this because. So we have to find the reason why. We're looking for it. And we, when we find the blame, then we'll level that blame and say, okay, that, that person's responsible for, for the damage that happened in my life. I, I identify the offender, and the wrong often lives on in the purest of hearts. just stays there. And yet, we're supposed to forgive. You know, modern psychologists have kind of inadvertently, good people, men and women, they're good people, They've inadvertently added to the pain and suffering that goes on in society because they've looked back and said, okay, the reason why you're having problems is because of something that happened in your past and generally they tag the parents. Your parents did something to you that caused all of this. Well... The Bible says in Ezekiel eighteen verse twenty that's not right. the fathers will not suffer the the sins of the sons and the sons not, will not suffer the sins of the fathers. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him and so regardless of what happened in the past, it's not their fault that I'm doing what I'm doing, not their fault that I'm doing wrong and not able to to come along in in the, the way I should. Uh, Oscar Wilde, who was an, an Irish poet of a century before in the 19th century, he said about this business of uh, the children blaming the fathers for their misbehavior. He said uh, that that the that the uh, children begin when they're born. Children begin by loving their parents. After a time, they judge them. And hardly ever do they forgive them. So be careful. Don't blame your parents for what you're doing and what you're suffering. Of course I'm a dad not to say that, wouldn't I? Father's Day, we get a pass. Okay. Our memories cling to us. You say, Well, I I can forgive, I can't forget. Our memories cling to us. We recall injuries done to us and how we have injured others not just been injured but we remember how we've injured others and they stay with us and they nag us and they come back at us at, at various times sometimes during our sleep it comes back to us and we wonder why well, I, I I wish i had never done that I wish I'd never said that or I I I wonder why they did this to me and more wonder why they, they they said that about me they're always though These memories and these problems with forgiveness always come about from those that we love. You know, a stranger can't hurt you. A stranger can pass you on the freeway and say all sorts of malicious, vicious things, and you can shed it like water off a duck's back. It doesn't make any difference. But let some member of your family or someone you love curse you and do despite unto you, And you can't forget it. All of a sudden it's there. And it reverberates over the years. Sin and misbehavior. And sin is anything that is contrary to God's word. But it's actually from the word which means error. You made a mistake. You hurt someone. And sin always hurts someone. It always does. Without an exception. Sin always hurts someone. Always damages someone. It either damages you or it damages the person that you sin against. Always damages. Inadvertently or deliberately. And we hurt the ones we love the most. Those who do not know us could care less what we do and what we say. Vice versa. Thus, when we harm someone whom we know, we personally have a great effect upon them. This is likely the reason the world goes blithely along adding to the enormity of sinfulness and immorality because they don't know God. He's a stranger. So what difference does it make if they insult him, despise him, hurt him, wound him? You don't know him? What damage? It's, it's a victimless crime you say. Well, I can just do whatever I want to. Whether it hurts God or not doesn't make a difference to me. It's easy to hurt someone if we're removed from them emotionally. If we don't know the damage or the pain that we're causing, then we have no reason to change our behavior. And yet, because the world does not know God, they're hurting Him deeply every day. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? God is a Father. He's our Father. We are his children. And if, if we know him, we know that when we do something wrong and we make a mistake, we're hurting him. We are actually hurting God. We're hurting him in the heart. We're, we're, we're wringing his heart with grief because we're misbehaving. We're hurting others. We're hurting ourselves. We're hurting him. John chapter 1 and verse 10 says, He was in the world and the world was made by Him and the world didn't know Him. That's Jesus. The world didn't know Him. So why not use His name any way you want to? Any vile way you want to? You know, you hear the name Jesus Christ so often today. You know when you hear it? When somebody stubs their toe. Jesus Christ. Somebody bumps their head. Jesus Christ. Somebody... Hits their thumb with a hammer. Jesus Christ. Someone's frustrated. Jesus Christ. It's always said that. They always say it. They always use it. You don't think that's hurting Him? That, that's hurting our Savior? By using His name as a swear word? A byword? That's the only way the world knows Jesus. That's the only way the world knows God the world runs around damning everybody in the name of God. You don't think that bothers him? That it hurts him? Well, sure it hurts him. It's personal. It's not impersonal. It is not a victimless crime. There is a victim. And the victim is God. We victimized him. In John 17, 25, Jesus said, O righteous Father, the world has not known you. But I've known you, and these have known that you have sent me. Sin hurts God. Just as the bad behavior of our children hurt us. When our kids misbehave, that's what sin is. When our kids hurt others, when our children do, it hurts us. Anybody as a parent knows that. They know that deep down in the roots of their being. They know that that's hurting. Imagine then how God feels whenever we do something that, misbehaving ourselves. David knew this. Remember David? King David? We all, You know we'll, what we remember him about? We remember him walking around on the parapet on top of his house looking across the way and he spotted Bathsheba. And she was bathing herself and she was naked, apparently, at least semi-naked. And he said, I want that woman. He was already married and had children. And she was married. Well, David sent for her and committed adultery with her. And then to top it off, he had had her husband killed. You know what David said about that? In Psalms chapter 51 at verse 4, he says, Talking to God, he said, Against you and you only have I sinned. He said, I I sinned against you. Sinned against God. So when when you're involved in adultery, you're sinning against God. You're hurting God. You're hurting Him. You're hurting His heart. It's extremely selfish of us to think that we only harm ourselves when we misbehave. Most of the time, we actually know what we're doing. We know that we're hurting somebody else. We know we're hurting ourselves. But we simply don't care. We don't care what kind of damage we're doing. And we won't care unless we're caught or discovered or exposed. Then all of a sudden, here come the tears. I'm sorry. I weep. I'm I'm wringing my hands. I wish I hadn't done that because we got caught. But while it's going on, we enjoy it. But we're hurting somebody. And we're hurting, basically, we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting God. But let's just talk about the fact that we're hurting ourselves and hurting others. Now, God does care about me. I know that He does. He hurts when I hurt. He suffers when I suffer. And He's harmed when I'm harmed. His heart, we sing in the song, His heart is pained with our grief. So much so was He hurt by what I was doing that He sent His Son down here. And He said, I'm I'm going to have to stop this. And the way I'm going to stop it is I'm going to let my Son die on your behalf you're the offender you're the one that did wrong but I'm going to let my son die and you know what Jesus did they took him to the cross they nailed him to the tree and while his life was seeping out of him he looked down at those who put him on the cross you know what he said father forgive them they know not what they do you know Is it easy for God to forgive me? To put all of my insults behind Him and look at me with tenderness? All the things I've done and I've hurt Him. When God forgives me as I understand it, He blots out every record of what I've done. Now here's what I really want to get across. The reason it's hard to forgive is because when we stamp something on history in our lives, when we we misbehave... We hurt or injure ourselves, God, somebody else. It happens, and you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. It happened. It's done. I can't erase that. I can't, I can't say, forgive me, I didn't do it. I have to say, please forgive me, I did it. But then, I can't forget it. I can't forget that I hurt you. I'm having a hard time. I'm struggling with it. You're struggling with it because it, it was a historical event. It took place. It happened. I had the bad thought. I did the bad deed. I said the bad thing. I hurt you. I hurt me. I hurt God. It's there. It's done. And yet God said, He can not only forgive it, He can forget it like it never, ever, ever happened. He can he can change history. Do you understand? You understand what I'm saying? He can actually change history. He can say it did, it didn't happen. It's okay. I won't remember it. Hebrews chapter eight, and verse twelve, which is a quotation from from Jeremiah thirty-one verse thirty-one and the following. But here the quotation ends up by saying, "For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities." Will I remember no more? What he does, he goes back to that page in our history when we did the deed. And he blots it out. You're looking for what you did? God forgets it. He, is he looking, for your, looking through your book? He looks back there, and there's nothing on that page. He forgot it. It's all gone, it's all done. He tore that page out of your book. And he burned that page. It's not in your diary anymore. Now my friends, how can that happen? When Jesus said, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven? Or rise, take up your bed and walk? I know what's easier. Take up your bed and walk. I know what's tough about forgiving sins. It was, hard. it was the hardest thing ever happened. For God to send his son to die on the cross to forgive my sin. The hardest thing ever in the history of the universe to happen. And yet Jesus did it and God did it because of his love for me. Once I've been forgiven, God looks upon me, the nasty, dirty sinner that I was, like a father would look upon his newborn baby. With love and compassion and kindness. That's how he sees me when I've been forgiven. That's how he looks at me and that's how he looks at you. My sin stained garments are washed in the blood of the Lamb and I'm pure and I'm clean. God reverses my missteps. He uh, closes out my bad deeds. He puts the toothpaste back in the tube, and he clears up and cleans up the muddy water so it's clear and crystal clear. And he tells me to look ahead, never look back. What is bad in the past has been permanently erased from my history. Now, I know what's harder. It's forgiveness. And I know it's tough for me to do that. And when I think about what is hard for me, I think it's hard for me to forgive someone who has offended me. And God said, try it, Bill. And I'll tell you, friend, I'll try it. I'll do the best I can. But what I do know is that God did it. He did it. And he can still do it. And he does it well. He does the hard things that we only struggle to partially complete. He can forgive you, and he can forgive me, and he does. God bless you.